Praise the Lord. Father, thank you again for your presence in our life. And thank you so much, Lord, for your love toward us, your grace and mercy. And we pray, Lord, this morning that the word of God would go forth into our hearts and that we would be blessed and nurtured and nourished, Lord, by your spirit. Touch each one, touch our ears, that we might hear what the spirit would say to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> I'd like to preach to you this morning on the subject, the progression of faith. The progression of faith. I was duly inspired and influenced by a book by a man of God who passed away a few years ago, Dallas Willard. He wrote a book, Life Without Lack. And I just want to reference that that some of the thoughts that I received was from that book. And I do have some direct quotes that I would quote uh, the man of God. And he was truly a great man of God. Very deep in his writings, very deep in the spirit, and a mentor to many people. In the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1, we're talking about the progression of faith. The Bible said that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all men of the east. And his sons went and feasted into their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. This is what we call moral and righteous faith. This is the faith of doing the right thing as a dad, as a parent, as a Christian. Evidently, his seven sons and three daughters were very tight. They ate together, they partied together. I don't know exactly what they did, but they were close. And Job saw the need, just in case, to cover them with sacrifices and prayers. Faith opens our heart to the things of God. I said faith opens our heart to the things of God. And God desires us to be a presentation to the world. It's not what we accomplish so much. It's what we become in Him. There must be an inward transformation of the Holy Spirit in our life to be that presentation. This type of faith that Job displayed was correct, decent, and moral. This type of faith could be classified as 
the right thing to do as a righteous man. It's the kind of faith that wakes you up in the morning to go to work and provide for your family. It's your reasonable service. It's the kind of faith that allows your conscience and your heart to make the right decisions every day. That's our reasonable service. It's the right thing to do as a righteous man or a woman of God. However, very important, please note, this type of faith does not immunize, inoculate, or prevent bad things from happening to righteous people. I want to say that again. This type of faith, however, does not immunize us. It does not inoculate us or prevent bad things from happening to righteous people. Because Job was going to experience a painful death of his children, destruction of his wealth, destruction of his property, and depression in the innermost part of his being. And the age-old question is this, and has always been, why do the righteous suffer? We've all heard stories. Why so-and-so passed away so young. We've all heard testimony of why did that happen to such a nice family? Why did that occur? So on and so forth. The Bible says in Job chapter 3 verse 25, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety Neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. From the beginning of Job chapter 1 verse 1, there were things that bothered Job about life and about his family. Because he said in chapter 3 of verse 25, he said what I greatly feared. Evidently those fears didn't come that day. Those fears were there. They were real. They were giants in his life. That which I greatly feared, not just feared, but greatly feared, is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Job was a restless dad. Job was a restless parent. It kind of reminds me of my dad when I was younger and I used to go out. My dad never went to bed until I walked into the house and he saw my face. That was his way of saying he loved me. He never went to bed until I got home. Not one time that I can remember until I walked into the house that he saw me okay and then he'd go to bed. Didn't matter what time. That's the kind of parent he was concerning me at that time. What did Job fear? Well, let's take a look at it. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came along also among them. They come in groups. Trials come in groups many times. And so the demonic spirits and Satan came and made a presentation to God. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Why are you here? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered 
The Lord said unto him, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? <laughs> then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he had on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. Verse 15. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants with the edge of the sword. And only I am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking... They came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon thy camels and carried them away, yea, and slain thy servants with the edge of the sword, and only I am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 18, While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and only I am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Amen. What did Job fear? Let's talk about that for a moment. In Job chapter 3, verse 25, reading that same verse in the message version, it says this. The worst of my fears has come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. My repose is shattered, the peace that I had. My peace is destroyed, no rest for me. Ever death has invaded life, even death. So what did Job fear? He feared losing his hedge of protection. He feared losing his wealth. Come on. He feared losing his security. He feared losing his blessings. What are you talking about? You see, the Bible says in Proverbs, to trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Job was a great man of God. And he was a righteous man. But even when you are a great man of God and you are a righteous man, you can look at what you have, what you possess, what you own as your base of security. 
And you can lean on that thinking, that's going to carry me through. And that's what I need to trust in. Job lost everything. His blessings, his wealth, his cattle, his ten children. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, why do bad things happen to good people? Was this the end for Job? Would God bring Job further along? Would his faith progress? Would God do something special in his life, even though he was wiped out totally, except for a nagging wife? Was Job relying too heavily on the blessings of God? Question, was Job relying too heavily on the blessings of God? Job had what we would call moral and righteous faith. He did the right thing. He stayed with God. He loved God. He sacrificed unto God. He did everything by the book. But yet tragedy struck his life like perhaps no one outside of Christ in the Bible. Everything was gone in a moment of a twinkling of an eye. He could have sat down and said, I need to talk to you, God. I've done everything you've asked me to do. You've complimented me that I'm the righteous man, that I'm a moral man, I've done the right thing. But boy, I'm hurting this morning. It's been a barrage, attack. It's been a war against my soul. What I greatly feared, what did he fear? I think losing his wealth, his children, his possessions, his security. Now we have to dig in deeper. So we progress from moral and decent, righteous faith to the faith of what, Ken, what Dallas Willard calls the faith of desperation. Have you ever been desperate in your prayer? Have you ever been desperate before God? You've done the right thing. You've obeyed God. You love God. You're not in open sin. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. But everything is coming against you. Everything is falling apart in your life. Your innermost being is rocked by the enemy of your soul. You're trying to keep your head above water. You're trying to tread water. You're trying to hang in there. Come on. And you've done everything that you believe God has told you to do. But seemingly, it doesn't seem to be working. We get desperate. Jacob got desperate when he thought his brother was coming down the road to kill him. The same brother that he connived and manipulated for the birthright. Jacob was in a panic. And Jacob, a con man, a manipulator, got caught up with God face to face. When the Bible says in Genesis 32 and 24, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. Jacob was so stubborn. 
God came down. Because Jacob would say, I saw God face to face. He named the place Peniel. So stubborn. Wouldn't give in. Wouldn't drop the pride. Wouldn't come to his knee. But now he's desperate. Because he thinks his brother's going to have revenge on him. And God set up the circumstance. And trust me, God will set up the circumstance to get you alone. Oh, yes, come on. He will get you alone. Amen. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of thick Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Jacob was desperate. He's coming for me. He's mad at me. He's going to get me. And I'm not letting you go until you bless me and give me something to hold on to. Come on. And God turned to Jacob and said, what's your name? He said, my name is Jacob. You didn't get the lesson, son. I changed your name to Israel. You got power with God. You got power with man. You prevail with God and you prevail with man. Don't be afraid of the man coming up the road. He's not going to kill you. He's coming to bring you blessings and gifts. Amen. Jacob got desperate. The Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7 and verse 24 became a desperate mother. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek. Jesus didn't come for the Greeks. A Syrophoenician by nation. He didn't come for them. He came for the lost house of Israel. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, meaning the Jews. For it is not meet to take the children's bread, the Jews' bread, and cast it unto the dogs, to the Gentiles. And she answered and said unto him, A desperate mother, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Desperation prayer. And he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and the daughter laid upon her bed. That mother was desperate in her prayers. Amen. Desperate. God. Job was, had faith that was moral, correct, and right. But yet bad things happen. And sometimes that bad things happen to us as Christians. Sometimes there is a hurricane and the Christian's home is destroyed. Come on. Sometimes there's a flood and it washes your house down the river. But you love God. You've done everything right. You sacrificed unto the Lord. You've obeyed God. You've done what was right. But yet something bad has happened. Jairus. In Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, a Jewish man, someone that had money. He had servants, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet because now he's a desperate father. And he besought Jesus greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. That's desperation, my friend. Come on. 
I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed and thronged him. He was a desperate father, as the Syrophoenician woman was a desperate mother. And then in the same chapter, a prayer of desperation, the woman with the issue of blood. Mark 5.25, and a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, sick. 12 years. And had suffered many things of many physicians. And spent all that she had. And was none the better, but rather grew worse. She tried every doctor in town. She went through the yellow pages. She made appointments. She took blood tests. She did everything that she could medically. Went to every doctor that she could find. But when she heard of Jesus. mm, When she heard of Jesus. Something happened one day. Something clicked. Some kind of inward transformation took place in the woman's life. I don't know where she was. Maybe she was in a rocking chair. Maybe she was sitting on the couch. Maybe she was sick in bed. But something spoke to her and said, if you touch but the hem of his garment, you shall be healed. You know when you're desperate? I said when you're desperate, you get on your knees and you start to pray to God for the answer. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, which means there was a multitude of people that she had to push through. And she touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. This is faith progressing. This isn't just moral and righteous faith of doing the right thing. I come to church, I pay my tithe, I say my prayers, I read my Bible. I keep the Ten Commandments, I go by the book. This is a prayer of desperation. Dallas Willard wrote, In Life Without Lack, the book, quoting, Desperate faith is all about trusting God when the shaking begins and everything crumbles around you. What remains is the kingdom of God that cannot be moved. And by trust and trust alone, we enter it. Let me read that again. Desperate faith is all about trusting God when the shaking begins and everything crumbles around you. What remains is the kingdom of God that cannot be moved. And by trust, and trust alone, we enter it. End of quote. What's that saying? Jesus spoke through the man of God in the book of Hebrews. And said, yet one more time will I shake the heavens and the earth. And 
basically what Paul was telling the Hebrew church was, God's going to turn us upside down and shake everything out of us that's not of Him. And if you will succumb to the shaking of God and allow it to happen in your life, the only thing that's going to remain is the unshakable kingdom of God that's within you. I believe we're coming closer to that day. I believe there is a shaking taking place in the earth. I told you last week there was an earthquake 350 miles under the ocean in the Pacific. 8.2. 350 miles down into the earth, into the ocean, <clears throat> erupted. Volcanoes, floods, rainstorms, things out of control, abnormal amounts of rain. 10, 15, 16, 20 inches of rain. Something's going on. Upheaval in the political realm. Upheaval in different countries. Restlessness among people. Seemingly almost on the brink of us. Civil war. Even in our own country. Us against them. Them against us. No longer united by one soul, by one spirit. By one faith. We're going to get to the place where we're going to become desperate. And we're going to come to the place where we'll come to the house of God and we'll be crying and we'll be holding on to the horns of the altar because the shaking will take place in all of our lives so God can have a pure and holy, sanctified church that's blood-borne through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will have a remnant. He will have an obedient church. But we progress to one more type of faith that I believe if Jesus tarries, we are all going to experience. There's moral, righteous, and correct faith. There's the faith of desperation. And then as Dallas Willard said, there's the faith of sufficiency what's that pastor one of the greatest verses in the bible that talks about the faith of sufficiency is this i'm going to read it in two versions the king james version and the message listen carefully although the fig tree shall not blossom neither shall fruit be in the vines the labor of the olive oil shall fail And the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. In the message version, the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 17. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. 
I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. If everything fails, if First National Bank fails, if the government fails, if my garden fails, if my cattle don't give birth, if the grass turns brown, what's he saying? This is the faith of sufficiency. Listen to what God's saying. This goes beyond moral and correct righteous faith. This goes beyond the faith of desperation. This is a progression. It's the progression of faith. It's where we say in Psalm 23 verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But it goes further than that. In the HCSB version it says, The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. Even though the apple tree is bare, the peach tree is pear, the cattle are dying, the grass is brown. My God, I shall not want. Because my God is sufficient. Amen. Amen. We're not there. I said we're not there. Because the least little thing throws our train off the railroad track. It says in the YLT version, Jehovah is my shepherd, I do not lack. How could this prophet, how could this prophet say this? Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm doing what? I'm singing joyful praise. Nothing's working. I don't even have a prayer of desperation right now to pull out of the hat. Nothing's working. But he says, I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. My God, is there something wrong with this man of God? Has he lost his mind? Does he belong in a psychiatric ward? He had the faith of sufficiency. I said he had the faith of sufficiency. And what is that faith? In one sentence or two, it's this. Whatever comes, I will have faith and trust in God because my focus is totally on God. No one can determine what's going to happen to us today or tomorrow or the next day. No one can determine if bad things will happen to those that are righteous. No one can determine that. And sometimes we can pray and we can fast and we can seek the face of God, but the apple tree still does not give an apple. Come on. And the cattle do not bear. And the grass does turn brown. And sometimes the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. I don't have an answer why certain things happen. I don't have a conclusive answer why certain things happen. But I know in my life that God is trying to bring me somewhere that I've maybe never been before. Or in a certain sense, I have been. 
when the Lord took me out of my job as a psychologist and I married my wife and God spoke to us to rely on him for everything by faith. And we did that as we started out for Christ. We helped a pastor build a church. He handed me a shovel. Never forget it. And he said, dig. And for nine months, not receiving a salary, the only thing he gave me was lunch every day he bought me. I showed up like a job early in the morning until late at night. Did everything he asked me to do with humility. I remember one time he had a heart situation, ended up in the hospital. And he put me in charge of a 150 feet of concrete sidewalk. I said, okay. Blazing heat, 95 degrees in Virginia. We put in the forms. We laid 150 feet of concrete sidewalk to one of the back exits of the church. And when I went up to the hospital to visit Pastor, I said, Pastor, we got in a 150 feet of concrete sidewalk. And he says to me, is that all you did? <laughs> you think I'm hard, huh? That's all you did? I said, sir, we'll do better. Because you didn't argue with him. That's my wife. You did not argue with him. That's all you did. Call me up one night, six o'clock at night. Said an agent. I said, What do you need, sir? He said, The sheetrock people are coming tomorrow morning. We have to put up all that insulation in the sanctuary. Get it done. Get it done. Six o'clock at night. Sheetrock people are coming in the morning. Do you know how big the sanctuary was? It was huge. Huge. Get it done. Listen. You didn't even think about not getting it done. Come on, come on. You didn't think about what you, you you're just going to get it done if you had to do it yourself. We had to get scaffolding. We had to get men. And we worked all night. All night. To put insulation up in a sanctuary that was huge. Because the sheetrock people were coming in the morning. We got it done. By faith. Nine months working to build a church. Helping. God teaching us the ways of faith. And may go back to that. May have to go back to that for everyone. I don't know. But listen, let me close. Dallas Willard says in the book Life Without Lack, the faith of sufficiency is the faith that says... Regardless of what happens, it doesn't matter. I have God, and that's all I need. End of quote. Amen. One more time. The faith of sufficiency is the faith that says, regardless of what happens, it doesn't matter. I have God, and that's all I need. End of quote. Dallas Willard. Amen. Life without lack. I was speaking to a counselor the other day who's actually going to be a minister 
And this man was mentoring him. But his wife said to him, I don't believe I can ever be a pastor's wife. I'm not cut out for that. And the minister, mentor of this counselor left him with a saying. Reverend Dr. Wesley Rayburg said these words. Faith is having vision when visibility is zero. I said, I have to write that down. He said, that was my pastoral mentor when I thought I was going to go and be a minister. And when I told him I was not going to do that because of my situation, he handed me off to another mentor who became my counselor, drug, alcohol, addiction counselor mentor. But he left me with this saying, faith is having vision when visibility is zero. Think about that. Moral, righteous, and correct faith doesn't always insulate us from car accidents. Doesn't always insulate us from things happening in our homes and our families. Sometimes doesn't even insulate us from death. The faith of desperation is when you're rocked really hard. So hard that all you can think about is seeking the face of God like never before. Holding on to the horns of the altar and saying, God, I'm desperate. Whatever. I'm desperate for you. Desperate for your love. Desperate for your faith. But the faith of sufficiency says, whatever comes, I will have faith and trust in God because that's all I need. Amen. In the days that we're living, in the days that are coming upon the face of the earth, our focus must be upon God as a priority. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get waylaid and ambushed. But fix your eyes on the rail. Come on. That would be a very nice song to sing. Fix your eyes on the rail. The train is leaving the station. Stay on the train. Stay on his train. And have faith. And when we pull our faith together, We should be able to get through any situation. Catastrophic, small, large, big, whatever it takes. Because God's faith is sufficient. Next week, I'm going to preach a sequel to this message. And the title of the message will be Sufficient. Mm -hmm. Don't miss it. God bless you and thank you for listening. Thank you.